Welcome back to New Rockstars. This is The Big Question. This is a podcast that gives you too much information about how our biggest heroes are also our biggest idiots. And had they made the obvious smart moves, countless lives could have been saved. Though, you know, the world would have been a lot more boring. I'm Eric Voss. With me is Zach Huddleston. Welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me back, Eric Voss. I'm excited. I'm slowly going to get inebriated. I've been looking forward to this ever since the last time you made the mistake of letting me on. Speaking of mistakes... This is the real mistake, you letting me be your co-host. This is a mistake episode. Oh, no. Maybe we'll see where it lands in the list. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll decide in real time. Maybe an honorable Yay! mention. Yeah. Okay. All right. What's this week's big question? Eric, this is a question we've gotten a couple times, and it often gets brought up during our watching. Which Avenger made the dumbest mistake, the biggest mistake, the worst mistake? <laughs> I love this question um, because if you think about it, the MCU is full of mistakes. All stories are based on mistakes. That's what makes <laughs> life interesting. We don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. You know, you could say it's always a mistake to trust Loki or to experiment with gamma radiation or to recruit Peter Parker to fight with grown-ups. But, you know, those mistakes are worth it. They, they make the MCU a better place at the end of the day. You know, they define the mistake maker's destinies. Thank God we had those mistakes. But some decisions were so inexcusably short-sighted and frustrating, stupid, permanently devastating that we have to discuss them. We have to learn from these mistakes because they completely defy the character's intelligence level and they lead to needless violence. These aren't just like, oh, a story needs to happen, someone needs to make a mistake. These are ones where like, no, we already saw you in history learn this lesson. Why are you still making this mistake? So those are the mistakes we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Those are the mistakes we're gonna address. Us in our in our height seats, just looking down on these superheroes, right? In judgment. Right. Who are we to judge? What would happen if we were given these cosmic powers? Would we make the right choice? I feel like if I were to snap, if I had that glove, I would just get like stacks of Cheesecake Factory cheesecakes, but just like four of them, just four. I'd be like, oh, I didn't know I could wish for more. And the thing's smoking and fried while I'm chowing down on some raspberry swirl. Oh, yes. All right, uh, let's start with the the first one on our list. We're gonna we're gonna rank these. Start with like big ones, and then work our way down to like what I think is the worst one. All right, so first, Nick Fury messed with the Tesseract and opened the door to Loki. So we're gonna widen the scope of Avengers to all Marvel heroes. How about that? So here's the mistake, Zach. In Avengers, the first Avengers in 2012, Nick Fury used Project Pegasus and Dr. Eric Selvig, their whole team, to experiment with the Tesseract in an open day portal through which Loki could arrive and try to conquer Earth. Now, why was this stupid? This isn't just a normal mistake because Fury knew what other dangers were out there after his experiences with the Skrull and the Kree and Captain Marvel in the mid-90s, and he had plenty of ways to better protect the planet. Like, he had Carol Danvers' pager. He could have rang that at any time if he needed help. He had the whole Avengers initiative. He knew who Tony Stark and Captain America were. Why did he need Project Pegasus and the Tesseract to try to fuel these weapons? He was just getting greedy. It was stupid. It's a it's a literal Pandora's box he opened, right? It's a cube. Yeah. He poked it. He was like, I wonder what kind of hell this could unleash. And he gave it to Dr. Eric Selvig, who we saw in you know one of those post-credit scenes. He looked in the mirror. It was Loki. We never really fully understood what that meant because Joss Whedon was just like, ah, I got my own movie I want to tell. Okay, so what were the consequences? We have to go through the consequences of this decision. Well, I think the biggest one, Thor later in this movie said the Tesseract experimentation 
Meditation essentially sent a message to all the other worlds in the cosmos that Earth was now ready for a new, higher form of warfare, which is a huge deal because that essentially put Earth on Thanos' warpath. They all knew that Earth existed, but now they're like, oh, they're one of the big boys. Okay, okay, we're gonna come take their Infinity Stones and kill half of them. So really, that was that was Fury's meddling that kind of started that snowball. Not to mention the Battle of New York killing dozens, costing billions of property damage, indirectly created villains like the Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Coulson died, then was resurrected in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but for, you know, half an hour there, we're like, that guy's dead. And then, yeah, all kinds of damage. This is, this is a pretty big one, pretty big one. Forgivable, but pretty big. Spy's gonna spy. Right, mm-hmm. he 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 has to mess with what was already good enough, right? That that's uh, yeah the curse. And hey, uh, where would we be without them them poking that? We wouldn't have had that that lovely Battle of New York that made us all so happy and, so, and um, yeah. made at least one waitress probably lose a couple of days' wages because you know that that <laughs> yep. restaurant was shut down for a few weeks to clean up, you know. Yeah, and that waitress, all of her scenes were cut. She has a little girl in growing pains, and she's like, hey, I'm gonna be an adult actress, I'm gonna have this romantic subplot with Captain America. Nope, cut! She got one scene at the end of the movie during the montage of news reports, and it's all Fury's fault. All right, on to our next mistake. Uh, this was pretty big. Odin was just a real shitty dad. Dad, you were never there for me growing up! Son? My name Jeff! Dad! <laughs> so here's specifically what the mistake was here. So Odin created Asgard's worst enemy, Hela, by banishing her and even worse, pretending she never existed. He never told Thor about her until right before he died, right before she came back. So this is why this is stupid. Odin, as you know, all father of everyone, lectured Thor again and again all about responsibility, yet he covered up irresponsibly his own dark history rather than teach his daughter to be a good ruler when she was like his second in command he like freaked out when she got too ambitious and he's like eh, go to your room forever like sealed up that door and then um uh, took all the family photos and, and painted other people over them and then never told his other kids that she existed just sharpening all of her daggers ready to come back and kill them all worst father so creepy right it also i mean you have to assume, even giving him the benefit of the doubt, that Odin at least like learned some lessons from his parenting of Hela, that then he improved his parenting <laughs> of Loki and Thor. But maybe not. If he was unwilling to even confront the fact that she existed, maybe he just kept making those same mistakes with Loki and Thor, right? I love you, my sons. Psych! <laughs> That's right. And you know what? The guy's been around for millennia. For thousands of years. You can forgive like a father who had a kid too young and then he's still a kid. He's trying as an 18 or 19 year old trying to raise a kid and you know he's still making mistakes in his youth. Odin is thousands of years old. Has conquered armies. This guy's no excuse to be an idiot. Oh boy. So what were the consequences of this? Well of course Ragnarok. Asgard was destroyed. Mjolnir was destroyed. Hela shattered Mjolnir. She had power over Mjolnir. That's how she was able to destroy it. He didn't like specify a subclause of that charm so that she would be like removed from the will of that charm. Thor lost his eye. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could argue that Ragnarok was destined to happen. I think this is why this doesn't rank lower. But at the end of the day, the fact that Asgard was out of the way, that's what opened the door for Thanos to start making his moves and gather the stones. It was right after Ragnarok happened where Thanos was like, oh good, no one can stop me now and start quickly gathering the stones, stone after stone after stone. He wouldn't have been able to do that if Asgard was there to kind of like keep him in check. That's why he waited so long. But again, 
Ragnarok was destined. It was it was going to happen one way or another. So you, you get kind of a pass, worst father of the year. <laughs> I I also like yeah. your sub mistake of Odin forgot to write a bylaw into Mjolnir's enchantment. He could have made he could have made any cha- it was just him whispering into that into that hammer. He no one was had had him on the clock. Like you have two hundred forty <laughs> characters for this one, Odin. Say whatever you want. Yeah, make uh, it specific, bro. Who shall ever possess this hammer uh, shall possess the powers of Thor, but not my first daughter. Don't tell Thor that she exists, though. But if she were to happen to catch this mid-throw, it, it won't work, and, and she'll have to be banished back. Oh, I ran out of room on this on this. Ubi. Beep! <laughs> oh, okay, I'm going to race it, Dragon. Who shall ever possess this all right, let's move on to one of the biggest idiots of the MCU, Peter Parker. This is why we love him, because he's a brainiac with no common sense, like most teenagers are. This is why he's so great. But this idiot gave Edith to Mysterio. Huge mistake. Big mistake. Big. Huge. Completely avoidable. In Spider-Man Far From Home, he gives him the sunglasses. He does it in a bar in Europe. No good decisions are made in bars in Europe when you're on a Euro trip. Uh. And these were glasses that Stark entrusted specifically to Peter Parker alone. It was Stark's whole legacy. It's priceless tech with the highest security clearance. And he just gave it to this interdimensional warrior he just met. He didn't consult with Nick Fury. And uh, it, it gotta be honest, Mysterio wasn't even trying that hard. He was like, see, that wasn't so hard. <laughs> it was like the first night they hung out. <laughs> Here's our, our, it's our second conversation here. Take everything that I own. It's yours now, stranger. And we know the consequences of this, right? Well, a group of criminals had suddenly the power to conjure Avengers-level threats, nearly killed thousands of people in London, or worse. It led to the exposure of Peter Parker's identity, endangering all of his friends, MJ, Aunt May. And worse, we I don't think we've seen the worst consequences of this. He led directly to the rise of fake news and conspiracy theories in the MCU that could erode everything in this future going forward. The shocking video was released earlier today on the controversial news website. Infowars.com I, I like this mistake too because this is the opposite of most of the other mistakes. Like this is a mistake of insecurity and not having enough right. confidence or self-esteem, right? He didn't think he was worthy of the glasses. Like you think like that's a problem uh-huh. with a teenage superhero, right? Like not feeling like good enough or whatever and he gives it up. Unlike some of the the cocky jerkwads that you've pointed out have made some mistakes on yeah. the other end of the spectrum, mistakes of hubris. Let's move over to another stupid Peter, Peter Quill. <laughs> this is one you've probably been screaming at this video up until now, Peter Quill punched Thanos, woke him up out of his trance, and ruined Avengers Endgame for all of us. So this was a moment where Mantis put Thanos in the trance, while the other Avengers, Iron Man, uh, Spider-Man, were wrestling that gauntlet. We, it was so close, we saw his palm. It was just a little bit of sweat clinging that Uru metal to his fingers. And then just Peter Quill, upon realizing that Thanos had killed Gamora, he lost his temper, punched Thanos, woke him up. Thanos punched them all, shook them all off, and that was the closest they got, and they didn't, they didn't succeed. And the reason I think this is really stupid is like, in this movie, Peter Quill had plenty of time to mourn Gamora, right? So when Thanos took her away from nowhere, he collapsed to his knees in defeat. There was plenty of time to mourn. At that point, you move on to the revenge stage. You're not mourning, you're not like gonna make stupid decisions anymore. You're like, all right, we're gonna form a plan. I'm gonna do this, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that, and then we're gonna execute this. There shouldn't have been time to improvise there. And he improvised. Don't you think that's like in all these like missing children movies, 
right? Like all the parents want is closure, right? They want a body. They want to know that the kid's not still alive out there. We'll keep these lights up until the day I die if I think there's a chance that Will's still out there. That was the moment, right, where Peter Quill went from like assuming she was probably dead and then he went to knowing she was for sure dead. And that kind of closure just broke him for a second. Hey, you're absolutely right. And you know what? Emotionally justified this was the reason why it ranks so high, and I think some people think this is a number one worst mistake. This isn't even number one for me. It is like the stakes. Like Peter Quill knew the stakes of this moment and he gave away the victory. This was like, I'm gonna need your help with the football part of this. This is Seattle Seahawks passing on, uh, you know, uh, uh, yards away from the goal line in the Super Bowl and it gets yep. intercepted. Yep. Did I get it? Did I do it? Yep, that Did was a good metaphor. Yeah. He blew it. He blew it. You do not throw a pass at the goal line when you have Marshawn Lynch. Finish him. All right, now let's get to the real big daddy mistakes. <laughs> Tony Stark inventing Ultron. Okay, so the mistake here. In attempt to build a suit of armor around the world, Tony Stark created a super intelligent AI that killed Jarvis, overtook his Iron Legion, and then nearly doomed the planet to like an apocalyptic meteor type event. And this was so stupid, idiotic, because Tony was motivated by just this irrational nightmare that Wanda Maximoff just kind of plugged into his brain real quick. And then he's like, I want a suit of armor around the world. But he already like learned his lesson back in Iron Man 3. He said that like he had already retired. He blew up all of his suits. Like he learned from Ivan Venko that drones are a bad idea, that they're dangerous. <laughs> Yet Joss Whedon and Age of Ultron is like, no, he, he has drones again. And then AI's turning evil, that's classic. Terminator, the war games, Superman 3. Superman 3's DC, I get it, but Terminator exists in this universe. We learned that from Rhodey's speech in Endgame. This guy knows Terminator. He knows that AI's destiny is always to like outsmart us and go evil. And as a guy who makes weapons, he should know that the outcome of those weapons, right, is totally determined by whose hands they're in. And, and knowing that Ultron yes. exists, it's gonna fall in the wrong person's hands at some point, right? Or in yeah. its own hands, which will definitely be evil. Okay, let's break down the consequences of this because they are disastrous. First Avenger death, Pietro Maximoff. Didn't see that coming. You never see it coming. 177 casualties in Sokovia. That included Charlie Spencer, that was Alfred Woodard's son. Uh, she played Miriam and that led to their whole fight. Zemo's family, fueling the Civil War conflict, the Sokovia Accords, the disgrace of the Avengers' reputations, everything that happened in Civil War was a direct consequence of Age of Ultron. The UN signing of the Sokovia Accords, that was the setting of T'Chaka's death, leading to a bunch of conflict and Black Panther. Age of Ultron was so consequential to all the bad stuff that happened, and might still happen, because there's plenty of theories saying that Ultron might still be alive. That's awesome. Sure. And it was another giant trauma for poor Wanda Maximoff, right? Like another in a long line of dominoes oh, yeah. that are falling for her that might eventually snap her magical brain, right? Boom, you looking for this? <laughs> yeah, and speaking of her, if he didn't invent Ultron, oh, just think of it. We would have no Civil War, we'd have no Sokovia Accords, the Avengers would be ready for Thanos, but most importantly, we would not have Vision. And that's why this ranks so high is because because Tony Stark was so stupid inventing Ultron, we had to invent Vision 2 and ruin Jarvis, who I think was one of the best characters in the MCU, and we turned him into one of the stupidest, most boring shitheads. 
in the MCU that's overpowered and and hurt Rhodey. <clears throat> so fuck Vision and fuck Stark for making. Noise okay, noise. now now somebody has to make a reaction video that's your biggest mistakes in this biggest mistakes list. It's going to be <laughs> pushing your anti-Vision oh, agenda. Just, just scroll down to the comments. They're already listing my mistakes in this video. It's fine. The second to worst one. Many of you claim this is the worst mistake, and I hear your arguments, but to me, it's not the worst. Thor didn't go for the head. In Avengers Infinity War, famously, Thor spent this whole movie forging a god-killing weapon, <laughs> nearly dying doing so. And then he'd let his petty, selfish vengeance against Thanos get the best of him. He chose to drive Stormbreaker into Thanos' chest just to make Thanos feel that pain instead of giving him a quick death, ending the war quickly, maybe even just cutting off his arm. That would have worked too. Yeah. But by doing so, he gave Thanos just enough time and energy to snap everyone half, half of everyone out of existence. It's also for, for, you know, Thanos literally has bare arms, no helmet on at this point. And so where does he swing the ax? A part that's still covered in armor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or yeah. at least as some kind of, he has his like kind of Thanos tank on, you know, beach ready, sun's out, guns out, yeah. <laughs> and like Peter Quill, Thor knew the stakes of this moment. He knew what it would mean if you didn't take your time, but he did it anyway, he was being immature. However, one of the reasons this isn't number one for me is many have argued that Thor's aim was off. He only had one eye, and there was a specific moment at the end of Thor Ragnarok where he throws something at Loki. Normally it went right through Loki. This time it went to Loki's side and he caught it, showing that his aim was skewed by his depth perception issues. Uh, depth perception doesn't mean right or left. He, he, he aimed too low. I think he deliberately went for the chest. I don't think it was an accident. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and because yeah. he talked a little shit while he was driving the axe in there, right? What yeah, did Thor yeah. say? I told you, <laughs> you die for that. He wanted to drag it out, whereas he should have just gone, just yeah, like yeah. Quill, right? Like both of them let their passion for vengeance take over their smart murder brains. Uh, so the blood of half of everyone, a uh, vision, well, he doesn't have blood, but the gears of vision. But in Endgame, Natasha, Tony Stark, they stay dead. Those deaths are on Thor's hands. Morgan Stark grows up without a father because of Thor's poor decisions. Wanda, Maximoff is gonna need therapy. She's probably gonna like rip the universe apart in WandaVision. That's all Thor's fault. At the end of the day, it's, it's Thor's, it's a lot of people's fault. It's Thanos' fault more than anyone. But you know, uh, if Thanos did something wrong, so did Thor. I mean, and also Thor paid a price, right? His waistline certainly did. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, that brings us to our worst mistake in my view. And hear me out on this. Howard Stark and Peggy Carter let Hydra take over S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, this is why this is such a huge mistake. Despite working closely at the core of S.H.I.E.L.D. for decades, they were founders of S.H.I.E.L.D. Howard Stark and Peggy Carter failed to see Hydra's takeover as S.H.I.E.L.D. and its ongoing corruption of all world political events. Now you could also argue Nick Fury and Maria Hill are also responsible. They were running S.H.I.E.L.D. in the later era, but may maybe if they had been more transparent, they might have seen it sooner. They like to play everything close to the chest. Here's why this was stupid. Howard and Peggy recruited Arnim Zola via Operation Paperclip, and they gave him direct access to their servers. Now you could say, yes, this did kind of happen in real life. The US did recruit German engineers like Werner von Braun under Operation Paperclip, but von Braun was not in the Nazi high command like Zola was for Hydra. Zola was the number two. He was like the Himmler of Hydra. He should have been executed at Nuremberg for what he did. There were SS officers who did far less than Zola did, who hung at Nuremberg. A real life German scientists who were recruited under Operation Paperclip, they were given close oversight, limited security clearance. And then in Endgame, 
Zola was just wandering around Camp Lehigh. Looking for Dr. Zola, have you seen him? That guy should have had an MP escort with him at all times. I like this, because this is also, much like Nick Fury, a mistake of ambition. Oh, here's a scientist that can do stuff that we can't do. We gotta bring him in. Damn the consequences, right? I mean, Howard Stark is brilliant. This guy invented like arc reactor technology. He didn't need him. He didn't need Zola. They already defeated Hydra. And Hydra was using the same kind of Tesseract tech that he now had. He it, didn't need Zola for that. Is there any evidence, right? Like some people have made the argument that like NASA, we wouldn't have gotten to the moon certainly as quick as we did if we hadn't have, you know, let those Nazi scientists help us or whatever, right? Is there any evidence that Zola did anything to benefit S.H.I.E.L.D. or the U.S. beyond uploading himself into a computer that'll live in a dot matrix uh, world forever. He was spending a lot of time doing that that he wasn't spending like fixing the world's problems, right? Uh, so far, no. Now maybe we'll learn in some future that Zola was instrumental in uh, DARPA and creating the early <laughs> years of the internet. Doubtful. I mean, Howard Stark was way ahead of this. And you know what? When we uh, recruited Werner von Braun, we were in a cold war with Russia. They were recruiting just as many scientists they could get their hands on. And there was a space race, there was a ticking clock, there was an arms race. The U.S. wasn't trying to, they didn't recruit Zola to try to beat the Soviets. They were getting greedy. Again, they were getting greedy. And the reason I think the stakes are so high on this one, the consequences, Project Insight nearly killed millions of people. And it was a matter of seconds that Captain America was able to switch out those drives. And then Hydra in that movie was hinted at to be behind dozens of worldwide terrorist events, financial crises, millions of lives ruined, millions of people died potentially, maybe 9-11. We didn't see footage of the towers get hit, but it was implied that like terrorist events were all Hydra's fault. And then eventually, yes, Howard and Maria were killed by that Hydra Winter Soldier program, led to the Avengers dissolving and fighting in civil war, leading to them being unprepared in Infinity Wars. So ultimately, Hydra's takeover of S.H.I.E.L.D. was poisonous to the heroes of the MCU in so many ways that we're not even talking about here. And it was all because they recruited this one evil guy that they easily could have just let burn. Though shout outs to Toby Jones, one of my favorite character actors. Oh, he's, he's great. Got, he's got such a weird looking head. I love that guy. That to me is the worst mistake in the MCU. I think Thor not going for the head's pretty bad, but it's also a bit understandable. It does not make any sense for those two S.H.I.E.L.D. operatives to have been fighting that battle in Captain America the First Avenger and then recruit the number two Hydra loyalist to give them the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, so there's there's all kinds of other mistakes. I want to hear what other mistakes you think we left off in the comments below. But, but those to me are the top ones. Yeah, how many of the comments are going to be, they never should have made a Captain Marvel movie? <laughs> hey, uh, that, we're talking about in-universe mistakes. We can't <laughs> yes. speak on behalf of Kevin Feige. All kinds of mistakes were made there. You know, Edgar Wright, and we, we, we can go on and on. But first, before we continue with some bite-sized questions that Zach's going to answer, we want to thank our friends at Coors Light for helping us make this episode so it's no secret that this summer is pretty different. Lots of things we normally do during the summer aren't really happening. But summer itself is not canceled, Zach. Coors Light wants to help you chill this summer, take a break from the stresses and pressures of daily life. And I am a big fan of Coors Light. My father's family is from Colorado, so I've been tapping the Rockies since I've been of legal age. I, I enjoy its uh, smooth, refreshing flavor. I'm not hanging by the pool or going to the beach this summer. I'm rarely did that even in a normal summer but like you and i have participated along with some other folks in like some zoom game nights 
where I've definitely yeah. cracked open a cold Coors Light to enjoy that. Even though I'm just staring at my laptop, it's it's been it's been nice. There have been times where you know we're playing werewolf and then everyone thinks I, I'm a townsperson, <laughs> but they think I'm the werewolf or or the mafia or whatever it is, and I get voted out early, and then I just have to sit and wait and watch people's reaction for about 20 minutes, crack open one of these, and uh, I'm good to go. <laughs> I think I think your reputation hurts you. Eric in games like Mafia or Werewolf because you're always taking notes and people assume you're so smart that you're playing 3D chess and so they always vote to kill you first. <laughs> They're like, whatever he's doing, he's taking this too seriously. He's got to go. It's the same reason why a lot of movie theater ushers throw me out. They're like, what is that idiot fiddling with? I'm like, I'm just taking notes for my YouTube channel. And they're like, mm, get out of here. So the new Coors Light Summer can does the work for you. It, it features sunglasses that literally turn blue when the beer is cold and ready to drink. It really is a perfect beer for chilling as it's cold, crisp, Really, just 105 calories, which is crazy. So that is why Coors Light is the one I choose when I need a moment to chill. So when you need a moment to reset the summer, reach for the beer that's made to chill. You can have Coors Light delivered by going to get.coorslight.com and finding local delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My hand's extra big because I, I like how small it makes my hands look. <laughs> <laughs> tiny, tiny hands. <laughs> All right, we also want to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode. Listen to the new Audible original, The Sandman, based on the best-selling DC graphic novels written by Neil Gaiman, which were hailed by the Los Angeles Times Magazine as the greatest epic in the history of comic books. And I'm inclined to agree, Neil Gaiman is amazing. So I'm so excited to check out the Sandman's audio version on, on Audible. This audio adaptation is decades in the making, stars Professor X himself, James McAvoy, in the title role, follow Morpheus the Dream Lord as he's pulled up from the dream realm and imprisoned on Earth. And when he finally escapes, he must restore his power to rebuild his dominion. That's just to start. It's featuring powerhouse ensemble casts, including Riz Ahmed, Kat Dennings, Michael Sheen, and more. In your wildest dreams, you've never heard anything like this. Listen now, only on Audible. Go to audible.com slash the Sandman. Okay, now we're gonna move on to some bite-sized questions that Zach is gonna answer for us. You ready, Zach? Yes. <laughs> ready to take a bite. So first question, can Captain America's shield be melted? So th this is a good one, and, and we don't, I don't have a specific uh, person that asked this question, but we've kind of seen similar ones pop up on Twitter and in Patreon Discord before. And it's a good question because we've seen Cap Shield damaged, right? Like Thanos hacked it practically in half. We also saw uh, T'Challa put some kind of scrapey marks in it, but we've never seen it like melted. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with a, a metal, right? Well, in theory, at some point it had to be forged, right? It had to be... Sure. maybe in a molten state. So can it be put back into that molten state? And of course, as you've done videos recently about the shield, in the MCU, Cap Shield is made of um, vibranium alloy, right? That Howard mm -hmm. Stark um, cobbled together with nothing but a hammer and a box of scraps back in 1940, mm -hmm. whatever, right? Now, and that's very different than the comics where it's made of uh, proto-adamantium. And so like, I'll, I'll talk about both a little bit because we know a lot less about it in the MCU version. Obviously the shield's been around for decades and there's been a lot of storylines that have rotated around it in the comics. In the movies, we, we don't know. We don't know exactly how Howard Stark was able to forge that original shield with the entire world's supply of vibranium outside of Wakanda, which, what a terrible use of a precious resource. <laughs> oh, use it for any, they just use it for bullets. 
just yes. made, you know, a uh, uh, hundred bullets. You could sell each of them for two million dollars at least. Yeah, instead, just a, a big throwable discus. Uh, but whatever, hey, I'm not here to judge. That's your job, Eric Voss. Part of the explanation that might make sense for the MCU that it's not meltable, right? And how he was able to forge it to begin with, we can kind of take from the comics, right? And in the comics, basically the original shield was forged with a little bit of science, a little bit of magic. The scientist who was making it fell asleep and when he woke, there was a shield <laughs> somehow. This yeah. problem he'd been trying to solve for a long time just was fixed as he was asleep. His wizard roommate cobbled it together while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and he was never able to replicate it after that, right? So maybe there was a little bit of that with Howard Stark, right? Like it's early, early days of 20th century science. There's all kinds of whiz bangs and gizmos and whatever. Somehow it magically appeared, never able to reappear, right? Smoking was my only vice, but now it isn't true. Also, in the comics, Proto-Adamantium, in all Adamantium, has this special property that basically, once it's turned solid, it can never be melted ever again. So it can be, like, melted down a first time, and then after that, like, once it's coated Logan's bones, or once it's formed into Cap Shield, that's the form it's always going to be, and no amount of heat, like even Human Torch going nuclear heat, can melt it back to a liquid form. But... Uh, there have been, obviously, again, ton of comic book storylines and the S.H.I.E.L.D., all kinds of crazy stuff has happened to it. And in general, anybody that can manipulate like molecules or reality can mess with the S.H.I.E.L.D. Not through just getting it crazy hot, but just, you know, through distorting um, the quarks or whatever that, that make up the S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> so somebody like a molecule man, yes, it won't get, um, you know, ever melted because it's it's super special, unobtainium, but like th there is some equivalence in real life. And, and I just want to point out again, the adamantium uh, vibranium connection that, that you've talked about before in X2, William Stryker, right? It, when he's quoted talking about the Weapon X program where they put the adamantium onto uh, Logan, Wolverine, right? The tricky thing about adamantium is that if you ever manage to process its raw liquid form, you got to keep it that way, keep it hot, because once the metal cools, it's mm -hmm. indestructible. So again, if we assume that vibranium in the MCU is kind of the equivalent of adamantium in the comics, then great, there's your answer. Can't melt that son bitch. Good answer. All right, next question. Is there a real-life Tony Stark? And could he afford to make that tech? Okay, so of course there's not a real-life Tony Stark, and thank Damn God, right? We don't want to do <laughs> well, sure. in an indestructible metal suit with <laughs> yeah. rockets and shit, okay? But um, <laughs> there are some people, and, and specifically our most recent, our MCU Tony Stark, right? John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr., when they were developing the character for Iron Man 1, they had meetings and interviews with Elon Musk, and they based mm -hmm. at least some of his character on Elon Musk, who at the time, this is 2012, right? So he wasn't Tesla Elon Musk. He was, uh, you know, SpaceX, PayPal Elon Musk, but he already had yeah. a bit of a cult following as, as this like uh, rogue entrepreneurial dude. And so like, yeah, Elon Musk has some of the same qualities, right? Like he's both like super rich. He's also an engineer. He builds flamethrowers, right? He's kind of obsessed with um, uh, different forms of power, like electric cars, right? Space rockets, um, arc reactor, right? Yeah, a little oh. equivalent there. Um, and, and of course, he's also a billionaire or at least like a hundred millionaire. He's, he's pretty rich. Right. Um, but if, if we're just saying like people who are wealthy enough and maybe crazy enough to pull off 
like Tony Stark level stuff. Forbes magazine did this thing where they estimated the net worth of like fictional characters like Bruce Wayne and Professor mm -hmm. X and whatever. And they guessed that Tony Stark was worth about $12.4 billion, which is an absurd amount of money, right? But yeah. you know how much money Jeff Bezos is worth, Eric? Oh, way more than that, right? 114 billion, almost 10 times <laughs> as much. Jeff Bezos oh, could boy. afford to be like 10, 10 Tony Starks, which we should all fear that and maybe a good reason to not shop at Amazon. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, not, it's not a liquid 114 million, right? Or billion, it's it's right, locked it's up in Amazon assets. stock. Yes, but yeah, yeah. he's crazy wealthy. Or even like Larry Ellison, who's another super rich tech guy who also cameoed in Iron Man 2 along with Elon Musk. That's right, right? he did, yeah. And like has some very Tony Stark-esque uh, facial hair. There, there's some, yeah. some look there. That's very expensive facial hair. <laughs> yes. That's, only billionaires can afford that kind of a cropped <laughs> yeah. goatee. Uh, but Larry Ellison, even he, and he's further down the list of top billionaires, he has 59 billion. So he's like five times as rich wow. as Tony Stark. Though I will say wow. one thing that a lot of the richest people in the world have going against them is they're all like in their 50s or 60s, which... I know Robert Downey Jr. is not a spring chick, especially by the time he gets to Endgame. But, you know, you still got to be a decent athlete to be flying around and fighting yeah. those bad guys. So, sure. really, the only guy yeah. that maybe has a chance, just with the combination of youth and absurd, disgusting wealth, is Mark Zuckerberg, who is Ooh. worth $89.6 billion. Um, seems to be probably a putt. <laughs> but... Um, you know, hey, he's still got a, year, a couple years ahead of him. Robert Downey, you know, Tony Stark had kind of an arc of maturing and working for the greater good. Maybe Zuck will do the same thing. I don't know. We can hope. <laughs> we can pray <laughs> and hope that he's just at the beginning of his three-act journey. Yeah, he's still in the first five minutes of his movie, okay? <laughs> Social Network is like 18 hours long. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have now come the time for our final box of scraps question. <laughs> And this week, oh, we've had this one before. So this one says, what is a mistake that you regret making on the internet that can never be erased? Zach, we are having another round of Find My Shame. So we're gonna tell our stories. We're not gonna give you all the details, but uh, it'll be on you to try to find the shame on, that exists somewhere in a dark corner of the internet. Zach, what do you got? I probably went through six blogs in two years, <laughs> I would be very excited for the first, you know, four or five posts. And then just, you know, my enthusiasm would wane. I'd get ADD distracted, do something else. Maybe I'd finally get a girlfriend and that would take up the uh, latent yep. energy that was just uh, pooling around my ankles. I started a blog that was just dedicated to the Slurpee machines of greater Los Angeles and what flavor was available <laughs> at what location. Nobody was asking Ooh, for that. Ooh, I need that. I need to know which <laughs> ones have the frozen Cokes and which ones just have the dumb Fanta flavor. Right, and there's nothing worse than when you go and you're excited and you get a Slurpee and it just comes out wet mush because it's not frozen enough. Oh, I hate I it. Wanted, right, because they don't I, care. Yeah. I still want this as a service. Maybe it should be an app on a phone and not an old school 2008 blog. <laughs> but, right, like there should be a service where, because there's a 7-Eleven on every corner in Los Angeles, but like, oh, drive the extra one mile because this one has the good flavors and it's cold and frozen, right? All right, that's interesting shame. I want people to find Zach's uh, Slurpee blog. Find Zach's shame. Find it. And then, um, all right, so here's my shame because I've given you one shame. This is another shame. And it's interesting that you bring up Facebook notes and blogs because my mistake is both permanently online in blog form and in ink. And Zach, I believe you know this story. 
I sabotaged a candidate for student body president in college because he was an asshole to me on Facebook. And I knew you did it. You planted that story about the chicken. I didn't plant the story about the chicken. Seriously, what the hell's the chicken? I'm not proud of it, but I did it. And here's, here's the story of it. So Zach and I went to the same college in Florida, and we were part of the same improv group. And uh, when I was a freshman, I wrote this Facebook note that stirred up a bunch of drama between our improv club that we were both part of and then this other club that was like a theater club that we, we you know, did stuff with, but we really had a beef with. But I, I wrote this note and I was kind of, I was real snarky and I was talking shit and I thought I was being real funny, but everyone commented on it because I didn't set my Facebook to private. I had just created it. So it was at a time on Facebook where like anybody who was on Facebook could find my account and read the whole thing. And so a lot of these theater kids were really pissed off at me and I knew all of them and they were all like kind of friends of mine, except this one guy. And we're gonna use a pseudonym for him, Brent Dorman. Um, and this guy, I never heard of him before, but he assassinated my character. He began his comment by going, listen, scumbag. He called me like worthless. Uh, in so many words, he's just like, go f yourself, delete your account, that kind of thing. Which, this is just my first random internet troll. I have gotten plenty of those since then. I'm so <laughs> used to this. But I never forgot his name because I had no idea who he was. I'm like, who is this Brent guy? And I later found out that he was dating one of my theater friends at the time. She introduced us at a party. She goes, this is Brent. And she tried to get us to like talk and hash it out. And we were both kind of like, nah, we're good. Nice to meet you, but we're good. I don't really want to even talk about this. So, fast forward ahead two years. I had risen up to become the humor columnist for the local newspaper, which basically someone just knew me who was like an editor there. They're like, oh, he's kind of funny. I was terrible. My, my column sucked. Most of it was just like gross, dumb ideas. And our, the editor was like, what is this? And would like trim it down and be like, I think this is kind of funny. There was a particular week where I had no ideas for a column, but then I opened up this newspaper and I kept seeing all this praise for this guy, Brent. He had made a name for himself, rising up the ranks through our student government, which was way too big of a deal at our college. Yes. Um, he was now running for student body president. He had a reputation as being this outspoken, progressive champion. Um, he was like the first like non-fraternity candidate in years who actually had a chance at winning because like everyone kind of knew his name. He kept getting in the paper for stuff or like speaking on behalf of, of these different things, marching with protesters. And uh, I mean, this this student government was dominated by frat row and the Greeks, um, sororities and fraternities. Uh, and just because they had ways to like kind of rig it. And historically it has launched plenty of political careers. I believe Marco Rubio was in the UF student government. Uh, yes. So it was a big Florida, deal. Florida Blue Key, Florida Blue Key is the equivalent of Skull and Bones at the University of Florida. Yes. And like every senator and governor from the state of Florida has been a member of Florida Blue Key. I had a, a brief brush with them working on our, our homecoming at the university. And I, I know and they're not evil. They're just hard drinking fraternity people. But yes, continue. Yeah. Well, and Zach, you ran for a student body president for a brief period, I right? I did. Or a, vice a fully president? joke of... A full joke candidate, but yes, I did. I got I got in the paper a few times for doing that. Yeah. Well, this guy Brent was like a man of the people. You know, he was this, he was not just running on the left progressive party. He was running to the left of the left. All those SG student government friends who I knew were like, we can't stand this guy. He talks down to everyone. He's so pompous. He's smug. And I'm like, I think I had a, a social media brush up with this guy. So. I had this platform in the form of uh, this column. And Zach, this was kind of like my Hamilton Burr moment, you know, where like 
uh, <laughs> uh, Burr, what nearly one president, Hamilton spoiled it by saying, Jefferson has my vote. Here's the deal. I needed a column. I was on deadline and I knew he was an asshole. And I'm like, this guy is a piece of shit. He's a troll and he got away with it. So here's what I did. I wrote a column dedicated to him and I spilled all the tea, Zach. I, I uh, quoted everything he said to me. I said, this is a guy who is trying to ask for your vote right now. This is the kind of person he is. And I was just kind of joking. It was a humor column. So I was joking like, finally, I have a reason to vote. Like, we're all like, we have no stakes in the student government usually. Now I have revenge. This is great. So I, I made a whole joke about that. I was really nervous when I uh, submitted it to my editor that night. Um, because the night before it was going to run in the paper, student government... Uh, reached out to us to schedule our budget committee hearing for our improv club's first ever budget approval. It was when I ran, I was president of the club at the time, and I promised them that we're finally going to get funding for our trips and our workshops and stuff like that. Um, they The meeting got delayed and delayed, pushed late at night after 10 p.m., which scared me because 10 p.m. is when the online version of the next day's paper went up on the website. And a week, this is a week from the election, and like I'm, you know, everyone's looking at, the, at our newspaper every day. And then I walk in the room, and Brent is on the committee of eight people. I had no idea he was on this committee. So I am checking my, my phone. I'm looking at the time. And then I know the online version of this article is up. And then I see him. He's checking his phone as, like, other people are getting, you know, pitching their stuff. And then, like, at one point he looks at me. And he kind of, like, does one of those. And then finally I do my whole spiel, do my song and dance. And then... It gets approved. It's preliminarily approved. He votes to approve. He's just kind of like, yeah, sure, yay. Um, so the next day, the article goes out. 30,000 issues spread all over campus. My phone blows up. My Facebook blows up. The article's a hit. Um, everyone I know in politics is like, you got him. Thank God. Finally, someone can call this this white knight out for the asshole he really is. And like, I don't know how big of a hit it is. It just seemed like it was a hit. It was the most hits any of my stupid columns got. And someone told me that Pita Pit, which is like the pita fast food place, they clipped it out and they taped it to their window. I guess like this dude had pissed off the guys at Pita Pit at some point. So they're like, yeah. So then like an hour after I wake up, I get a phone call. It's this dude, it's Brent. I don't know how he got my number initially, but he told me he got it from our opinions editor. So the opinions editor was not my boss. It was my boss's boss. My boss was the entertainment editor, didn't care about politics, thought the article was funny. She's like, go with it. But her boss was the opinions editor who did care deeply about politics, was very friendly with this Brent guy. She actually wrote the opinion piece endorsing him. So he tells me, he goes, I was shocked to see your column. Um... Because I had never heard of you, which motherfucker just saw me last night, but whatever. Um, but mostly I'm surprised that your editor failed to fact check it um, because I never wrote that comment. And I would have been happy to explain this um, had anyone reached out to me. And in fact, while I investigated it on my end, um, one of my friends from that time has come forward. And he said that that night um, when I was with my then girlfriend, we were all talking about the... Um, that controversial article you wrote. And he took my open laptop when I wasn't looking and he commented no. under my account. No! And I was like, you fucking liar. He, was, the, no he invented the I got hacked <laughs> excuse. Yep, he said he got hacked. Uh, and then he said, he will be emailing you soon. And then immediately I got an email from this guy as oh. if he was in the room and hit send upon his cue. 
And uh, and the other guy was taking basically word for word exactly what he said. I don't even know if this guy exists because I could not find him on Facebook, which is crazy. Back in this year, everyone in college was on Facebook. Couldn't find this dude on Facebook anywhere. And then he, he drops the kicker. He says, I was just surprised you would post this after I supported your improv club at the budget meeting. It was a threat. He was threatened because my budget wasn't formally approved. It had to go to the full Senate and someone could veto it or delay it or like take it out of the final budget that went for approval. So here's the problem. I had no way of knowing what the truth was. I had two people who could come forward and say I was a liar. So here, Zach, is where I made my mistake. Here is my shame that you can find if you look hard enough. Since I was worried about the funding for our improv club just being blocked, uh, you know, me pissing off everyone in my club, I agreed, he made this request to me, I agreed to uh, write a follow-up to the paper's opinions editor that would run the next day. So I wrote this up, I made it real jokey, I just kind of updated people on what he said, what his claim was, and how, like, it's impossible to know the truth, and really all politics is bullshit and this has gone too far, and, like, eh, trolls are gonna troll, you know, it's like making a bunch of jokes. Well, the next day, this is what happened. The follow-up ran, but the opinions editor shortened it by half. She took out all my jokes, and it was buried on the opinions page underneath another article that was three times longer, a letter to the editor written by Brent. She didn't tell me that she was going to give him. They, she put our article side by side to say, let them, you, you decide who's telling the truth. His article denied my claims. He called my voter apathy corrosive to democracy. She's like, oh, God. Uh, and then at the very end, you know, came my response, just a three-paragraph noodle where uh, it, was, it was my letter to the editor, but I didn't write the headline to it. The editor wrote this headline, Brent Dorman didn't write comments, making it look like I had apologized and I had like retracted what I said, which is not what I said at all. They completely mischaracterized what I said, but I couldn't complain. I couldn't do anything because according to the opinions editor, she was my boss's boss. She could just like let me go. I want to keep this humor column because I want all these clips. So epilogue to this, Brent lost the election by a huge margin. He came in a distant third, which is probably gonna lose anyway. I don't want to take credit for it. And then I recently looked up this Brent guy and he's now a labor lawyer in New York. He is like fighting the good fight. Thank God for this man. Uh, he's doing just fine. I, I want to leave uh, this episode with two pieces of advice. If you're over the age of 21, drink Coors Light. If you're under the age of 21, <laughs> never be a jerk online. People will screen grab it. It will come back to haunt you. Even if it just, even if you're just at a party a year later and you have to confront the person that you were a jerk to or whatever, it does not bring joy to your life. You will be a happier, yeah. better person if you avoid being a jerk online. Talk shit in person, never type it out. That's that's my advice and to you. And if you do people. type it out, <laughs> Eric Voss will remember your yes. name. <laughs> And write or post something that will drag you. And you cannot claim you got hacked because it worked on me once. Shame on me. <laughs> Find my shame. Well, that is our show. It was so great to chat with you, Zach, and uh, stroll down memory lane into all of our shame and skeletons in our closets. Uh, a reminder to all of you that you can join our official Discord by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash newrockstars. You can get an audio version of the show by subscribing to our New Rockstars Big Question podcast 
wherever you get your podcasts. And you can send us your big questions on Twitter by using the hashtag big question or by mailing us at our PO box. You can follow me on Instagram at EA Voss. Follow Zach at Z Huddleston on Twitter. And follow New Rockstars on socials. And subscribe here on YouTube to get too much information about the stuff you care about and overlong stories about the petty battles of Eric's college. I love your memory for this shit. I barely remember two years ago. You have like a photographic memory for every experience you had in college. I love that. I never forget anything. It's my gift and my curse. <laughs> <laughs>